Well, we are in week two of our Now What series, and last week we kind of just explored uh, these Now What moments that we all have experienced, are experiencing, uh, will experience one day, uh, these moments of life. And sometimes these Now What moments are, are, are kind of mountaintop peak type of experiences where we don't think life can get any better. That, that, that moment where you finally landed that deal or got that new position or that new job, that transfer you wanted, or that moment you found out that you're adding to your family and it's an exciting now what moment that you're adding to your family. These moments where, where you kind of sit back and you just think to yourself, now what? Life is great. But in reality... We probably think more about the valley now what moments. Because that's where the emotions are really intense. The valley now what moments is where we kind of lean back and uncertainty kind of swirls around us. The unknown in front of us is, 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 is daunting. And we just think to ourselves, now what? Now what? And you kind of wait, thinking to yourself, well, one more email or one more phone call or one more set of uh, 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 bad news that comes my way. I'm not sure what, how, how I'm going to be able to handle it. Now what? And so we looked at uh, this one verse found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And it's kind of a promise that God gives us and states this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What an incredible uh, promise, an incredible statement. That in our lives, God wants us to experience immeasurably more. More upon more. More than we could ever imagine or ask for. But there's this catch. According to his power that is at work within us. His power. If we were all extremely transparent with ourselves, we would want to uh, replace his power with our power. And let's just be very personable about this uh, today. Uh, Let's get rid of our, and let's just say my power. It's what we think. It's how we operate. That life is within my grasp, within my talents, within my control, within my influence. And we default to this my place thinking that I can fix this. I can make this right. I can make it better. How's it working out for you? Is your marriage better because it's within your power? Don't answer that if you're sitting by your spouse. Are your relationships less messy because of you? Or do you make things more messy? You see, if it was all within our power, within my power, my, my relationships, if I could fix them all, I would fix them all. If I could fix my life, I would have fixed it already. But for some reason, I keep making it more of a mess. And how I talk, or how I process thoughts, or how I allow my pride to raise up, what I do, it it just makes more of a mess. 
And so we landed on this one simple principle that comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It states this, that more is attainable because God is able. And when we start realizing that God is able to do immeasurably more in us and through us, when we start relying on his power, on his strength, on his wisdom, on his guidance, then and only then can we start experiencing what he has planned for our lives, immeasurably more. Well, verse 20 is actually part of a prayer that Paul's been uh, praying and meditating on. I wonder how many times he had prayed this prayer for this church located in Ephesus before he actually wrote it down in this book that we call Ephesians. I'm sure there's many, many times he just prayed this out loud or to himself. And finally, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit led him to, to write it in a letter and send it to them. So towards the beginning of this prayer, this is what Paul states. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Okay, here's a strengthening in his power again. God's strength. God's power. God's ability to do immeasurably more within you. And then there's these two blanks. And before we fill in these blanks, I just want you to know that it's going to feel a little mystical. And for some of you, this won't be a new concept. For some of you, this will be a brand new concept. For some of you, you, you've thought about this a little bit and you're just not sure what to make of it. Maybe you have a different framework, a construct around it. But I like to think of, of it in this way. It's how God supernaturally works. You see, he's going to strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's that, that epicenter, that, that, that seat of consciousness. It's the sphere in which God, in all of his divine wisdom and power, is going to strengthen you. The Bible uses another word. It's a word we all use. It's the word heart. It's our heart. You know, have you ever said to someone, man, they have a really good heart. Or that one over there, evil. Oh, they have such a forgiving or such a generous heart, such a generous spirit. It's who you are on the inside. But here's the reality. There's this battle going on within your heart, and it comes out through your hands. Because who you are on the inside always comes out through your hands by what you do. Case in point, how's your 2013 uh, New Year's goals, resolutions going? Some of you just didn't even do them this year. You've given up. Because you know, 13 days into the new year, they're gone. They're for, you've broken them, right? For some of you, you're like, nope, I've done them for 50 years. I'm not going to do them for my 51st year. For me, I came in this year going, I'm, I'm doing them this year. This year is going to be different. I'm sticking to them. And so I had uh, uh, several New Year's goals, and two of them are, are going to be very, very common. I want to eat better and exercise more. 
And I was serious this time. I'm like, I'm going to do it this time. I have to. I have to eat better. I have to exercise more. My heart, I mean, my physical heart depends on that. I was doing so good. I was so, I had such a deep resolve. And two nights ago, my wife went up to bed. It's about 9.30 at night. I found myself on the couch in a very weak, weak moment. And the freezer started calling my name. I'm like, no, I tried to ignore it. But the voice was loud. The magnetic pole was overpowering. I found myself walking to the freezer. I opened up the freezer door and there, I mean, it had a spotlight on it. It was cookie dough ice cream. And this is how bad it was. This is how weak I was. I didn't even get a bowl down. I grabbed the spoon and the container and I went to the couch it gets worse. I'm sitting there on the couch and inside I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? I'm like, it's cookie dough ice cream. It tastes so good. I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't stop. And all of a sudden I heard my wife's footsteps coming down the staircase and I reverted back to that like nine-year-old little boy and I hid the gallon of ice cream underneath a blanket. I'm not joking. It's underneath the blanket. I'm like, oh, and all of a sudden she turns the corner and what I forgot to realize was the lid of the cookie dough ice cream was still on top of the couch. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry, honey, I was weak. I felt like I was being scolded by my mom again. She goes, hand me that. I'm like, okay. The next morning I literally woke up replaying this whole scenario. I'm like, Chris, You hid the ice cream underneath the blanket. What were you thinking? Chris, you're doing so good. And why did you get the gallon of ice cream out of the freezer? We all get it. The battle is being waged within our inner being. And you see, what happens inside of us always is reflected by what we do. What's going inside of you always comes, comes out by how you talk to people. What is inside of you always directs what you do, your actions, your life. Major League Baseball this week. They voted on a list of potential people to get into the Major League Hall of Fame. And after all the voting was done, it's only the second time in history that no one, no one was voted in. Zero. And it's not because the list wasn't a stellar list of talent. One guy on the list, 762 home runs. More home runs than any other player in the history of Major League Baseball. Didn't get voted in. You had a Seven-time Cy Young Award winner. The greatest pitcher ever. Not voted in. Another guy. More 60 home run seasons than any other player who hit over 60 home runs in a season. More of those. Not voted in. You had another player. 12, 12 all-star appearances the greatest catcher in history at bat. Not voted in. 
You see, they weren't voted in because of what they did. They weren't voted in because of who they were on the inside. They cheated. They decided they could cut the rules. They decided that they could do something to help them accomplish more. And now their legacy has asterisks next to their names. And it's not, not just in the, the sports world, is it? It's great leaders that have accomplished great things to have it all crumble because of character and integrity issues. It's great pastors that have touched so many lives to have it all crumble because of character and integrity, heart issues. You see, God doesn't really care what you do. He cares who you are on the inside. Because what God knows is this, is what going on inside of you, if that is in the right place, then what you do will have a far-lasting impact without asterisks. I listened to a podcast this week, and this leader had a simple challenge. He framed it this way. He said, most great leaders come into a new year, and they set for themselves great goals to accomplish over the, over the year. And they sit down, they write their goals, and they write their major to-dos to accomplish those goals so they can accomplish great things in their area of leadership. He goes, my challenge for you is stop setting great goals. Because if you're a great leader, you're going to accomplish great things. He goes, the most important thing you can do as a leader is to develop a to-be list. A to-be list. At the end of the of your life, when you have your kids, maybe your parents, other family members, friends talking about you, sharing your story, what do you want them to say about you? What are the stories you want them to say? That's the list you need to develop. And so this week I I broke out my uh, little leather-bound journal with a pen, and I've spent hours writing down just different words They're the guardrails in my life of who I want to be on the inside. Because if I keep those in focus, if I work diligently on becoming the person God wants me to be, then that's going to come out by what I do. The thing I don't want to have happen is have an asterisk next to my name. Or my kids hate the church or hate God because of what I did. Or my wife not respect me, even though I did great things. Maybe for you, you need to start developing a to-be list in your life. But Paul goes on, and he's going to write this thought, and this thought really challenged me this week. And I, I, let me read it to you, and, and I'll tell you why it challenged me. 
This is what he said. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now on the surface, it's a great thought. So Christ may dwell in your hearts. But what threw a question in my mind was this, that this letter to this church in Ephesus was filled with Christ followers. You see, it was a, this, this very new church. And so if you were going to actually be part of this church, you, you took a step to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because if you hadn't made that step, it was too dangerous to be part of this new movement called the way. Because you, you were fearing for your life. So this church in Ephesus some 2,000 years ago uh, looks radically different than Renaissance Church. Because what I know in this room today, all of you are at a different place spiritually. For some of you, you're not even sure if you believe in, in a God, but yet you're trying to figure that piece out. For some of you, you've wrapped your mind around that there's a God, but you're not sure about this, this, this man named Jesus Christ coming and walking and God's son, becoming man and dying and conquering death. And you're, you're still not sure about that. For some of you, you, you've taken that step where you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But you're, you're now in a spiritual place saying, now what? And on and on we go. But for this church in Ephesus, they had all taken this amazing step to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so when you think about that, and you come back and you look at this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, well, if they've accepted Christ, then Christ is dwelling in their hearts. So what's Paul trying to get at? If they've accepted Christ, then Christ is in their hearts, so then why is he praying that Christ will dwell in their hearts? So I started on the journey. The first step was just to look at that word dwell. Because it's easy to kind of frame it in a way that, okay, so dwell means they accepted, which means Christ came in their heart. Okay, that's what it means. It's this momentary, this one step. They accepted Christ. Christ is now in their heart. But you see, the word dwell doesn't mean that. It means this ongoing presence, this ever-deepening and growing relationship with Christ. It's ongoing. And God led me to this thought. There's a difference between knowing God, intellectually pursuing the thought of God, and coming to the place of saying, I know there's a God, and experiencing God. There's a difference between knowing about this man named Jesus Christ and reading about Jesus Christ, and and even believing that Jesus Christ was a real guy, a real man who walked on this earth, that he's really God's son, and experiencing Experiencing Christ dwelling within you. The great pastor Jonathan Edwards, in his message, The Divine and uh, Supernatural Light, he gave this illustration that I think paints an amazing picture between knowing and experiencing. He talked about honey. Where you can know that honey is sweet. Just by talking to people, by reading about it, by talking to the beekeeper and watching him extract the honey from the honeycombs and hearing his words about, <coughs> about honey, you can know, excuse me, <coughs> you can know about honey. 
But the first time, the first time you dip your finger into honey and you touch it to your lips and you put it on your tongue, your senses come alive. It's a whole different experience, isn't it? You see, it's one thing to know Christ, another thing to experience Christ and have it come alive to your senses. You see, that's the difference between religion and relationship. God, the creator, wants a relationship with his created. He wants a relationship where you experience him. And for some of you spiritually, (coughs) you need to go from knowing and just checking the boxes and experiencing Christ dwelling in you. For some of you in your spiritual journey, you've gotten cut up on this faith word. It's a struggle for you, intellectually. To get your your mind around God, get your mind around God's Son, Jesus. It's a struggle for you as you work through some of your questions and your doubts and your confusions and you're just not sure. And maybe you've said out loud or maybe you've thought to yourself, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I just don't have enough faith to believe, to make that step. But you know what's interesting is this. The Bible talks about it. It has nothing to do with the quantity of your faith. It has everything to do with the object of your faith. Let me me say that again. It has nothing to do with the quantity of your faith. It has everything to do with the object of your faith. There's a story in the Bible where... (coughs) Hey, Paul... Could someone get me a bottle of water? I'm sorry. I'm dying up here. Uh, Have you heard there's a flu epidemic? I don't have it. Thank you so much, Bill. Um, Jesus tells a story. Ah, Now, don't you all want to drink a water? You're like, I need a bottle of water. Jesus tells a story (coughs) where this dad walks up to him with his son. His son has been having seizures for years, and they're just not normal seizures. It's kind of interesting how the Bible frames it. It it says that every time the boy has a seizure, he falls into either fire or water. Oh, just think about emotionally where this dad is at. I mean, it's one thing to have a child with seizures, but every time your child has a seizure, it's around water or fire. I mean, your fear of him drowning, your fear of the burns that he's sustaining because he's falling into to fire. And this dad brings his boy up to Jesus and he states this, he goes, Jesus, your disciples couldn't heal him. Can you? And Jesus says to this boy, demon be gone. And the boy's healed. Because you imagine this, this, this dad walking away with his boy who's been healed. Then the disciples come to Jesus. It says that they come to him in private, which I thought was very interesting. They waited until all the the crowds dissipated, and then they surrounded Jesus, and they said this to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why can't we heal him? We've healed other people. 
We've healed other people that were sick. We've healed people, but why, why couldn't we heal him? Listen to what Jesus, how Jesus responded. <coughs> because you have so little faith. Now, you could be sitting there going, Chris, I thought you just said it wasn't about the quantity of faith as the object of your faith. Jesus just said, quantity. No, no, listen. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you see the mustard seed represented kind of that, the smallest known you know, object in their culture during the, those days. Like when he said mustard seed, they would all go to that. Yeah, that's the smallest thing we know that we can kind of quantify. And he says, even if you have the smallest amount of faith, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. You see that statement, you can say this mountain, move from here to there, it was a very common rabbinic metaphor stating that you can do great things not because of you, but because of God. And even the smallest amount of faith, the size of a mustard seed, God can do great things through you. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, it's about the object of your faith. And if you're sitting there struggling right now, you can have the smallest amount of faith and God can still do a great thing within you. You see, when Christ dwells in you, faith grows in such an amazing way. So maybe for you, the spiritual step you need to take is to take that step to invite Christ into your heart. And when Christ comes in your heart and he starts dwelling in you, your faith will grow. It'll grow. Paul goes on in his prayer. <coughs> and he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. See, that's the foundation again. It's not how we frame love. It's God's unconditional love. And when God's love is dwelling in us, it becomes a foundation that roots us down and establishes us. May have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide. Think about how wide God's love is. Do you realize that no matter what you have done in the past, God's love is enough for you. And no matter what you're doing right now, God's love is enough. Because for some of you, you, you really think, God can't love me because I have done this. God can't love me because I'm doing this. God can't love me because I've said this. God can't love me. And I want you to know, The width of God's love is wider than anything you've ever done or will do. And he goes on to talk about how long God's love is. No matter how far you go, you're never, never 
beyond the outstretched arm of God's, God's love. You can't work your way to God's love. It's through God's grace, Christ on the cross, that his love is extended to you. In the height, <coughs> in the height of God's love, In John 17, Jesus says this heartfelt prayer. It's an amazing prayer. I challenge all of you to go read it. But towards the end, he kind of turns this corner and he starts praying for all those people in the future that will follow, that will accept him as Lord and Savior. And he frames it this way. He says, and for all those who accept me will one day in eternity will experience my glory, will be part of my glory. And the height of God's love is for those of you who take that step to follow Christ, that one day in eternity you will experience his glory. (coughs) And then the depth of his love, I'm sorry, I'm struggling here. The depth of his love is when Christ was on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, in that moment, the sin of the entire world was placed upon Jesus, and he was viciously ripped from his father. The wrath of God was placed upon him. The depth of his love for you the depth of his love for you, being willing to be separated from his heavenly father for you. <coughs> and he ends by saying, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see that line, fullness of God? It's not a feeling. It's not saying that, that if, Christ, <coughs> if Christ is dwelling within you, <coughs> that you have this great feeling. I'm not saying you won't, but it's not a feeling. What Paul was getting at is that you will experience a new life. A new life. And you want God to do immeasurably more in you and through you. It starts with Christ dwelling within you. We wanted to have a moment today. He's going to sing a song. And my challenge for all of you is simply this. There's a spiritual step you need to take. I'm not sure what it is. For some of you... The step is to accept Christ. To name him as Lord and Savior. To realize that's not in your power. There's nothing you can do. It's all been done for you. When Christ died on the cross for you. That Christ's death created this bridge to God the Father. That his blood on the cross saved you 
And for you, maybe that's the spiritual step you need to take. And you've never taken it before. And I just want you to know in this moment, there's, there's nothing magical you need to say or do. You just need to say, Christ, I accept you. I name you. Maybe you just sit there and think that because God already knows your heart and your mind. Where you realize your life in God's hands is where it needs to be. Maybe that's your step. Maybe for you, you need to go from knowing to experiencing Christ again. Where your relationship with, with Christ has just become this intellectual kind of check-the-box religious pursuit. And you need to move to sensing, tasting, experiencing Christ dwelling in you. I don't know where you are spiritually. My challenge for you is this today, wherever you find yourself, to take a step spiritually.